Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here, isn't it? Amen. Well, hopefully we'll have a good time today learning from God's Word. I'm glad you're all here. Angel, is that you right there? Just got back from his... He got married four weeks ago. Give the guy a big hand right there. (laughs) Took long enough, but you got married finally. Praise the Lord. But uh, he's a really great young man of God. He really loves God. I've got to minister to him quite a few times. I don't know why I'm saying this, but he really is a great guy. And he really studies his Word of God. So really proud of that guy right there. And he's a guy that has faced up to his issues over a year's worth of meeting with me and stuff like that to deal with himself. And I always, isn't it great when a young person wants to do that? Praise the Lord. I almost felt like crying when I said that, bro. See what you do to me every time I see you? But um, we had a good time at his wedding. Um, Today we're going, I I can't believe I'm going to do this. And I'm going to pop open my bottle of water here because I can't believe I'm going to start, because I am an Angel fan, and I can't believe I'm going to start, praise the Lord. Um, (laughs) All you at home and outside, uh, I'm going to start last week and this week. Two weeks ago, I'm going to start off with a Dodger illustration. Can you believe that? But it works. It works, okay? And it's not just because you're, not because there's Dodger fans here. But anyway, um, it was, was it three, three years ago the Dodgers played Houston in the World Series? Oh, pain. I hear pain, right? Now, there's, and, they, and they're right, they have a right to have pain. Let me tell you why. And why I'm going to use this illustration. Because three years ago, the Dodgers played the Houston Astros in the World Series. And uh, Houston won the World Series. But then after the series was over, we found something out. Did we not? Oh, boy, that was painful right there. <laughs> Let me try that again. We found something out. Did we not? Okay, but uh, Houston cheated. Houston was stealing the signs. And, you know, I'm a law and order guy. I would have made, people have asked me before, what would you do other than being a pastor? What would you have been? A prosecuting attorney. There's no doubt about it. I would have loved to get somebody on the stand. It would just, I would have relished the idea. But I'm a law and order guy. And I am a firm believer that if they cheated, they should have been stripped of the title and it should have been given to the Dodgers. Any amens on all the Dodger fans are excited now. Now you're like me, right? Um, but I really believe that. But they weren't stripped of the title. They stole the signs and therefore got an advantage over the Dodgers. I have a question. What if stealing the signs was actually legal? Would you do it? I would, because it's legal, right? If it were legal, I would steal the signs. What if I told you that in this collection of 66 letters written by over 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years and it does not contradict itself and there's a thread of the, of the revelation of the Messiah coming through this, this collection of 66 letters culminating with the salvation of man. What if I told you in this collection here of writings that it reveals to us, it gives us the signs. It shows us what Satan's strategies and plays are. Would you be interested in knowing the signs? That's right. Because if we knew those signs, it would give you and I an advantage in our faith, would it not? And so, but in here, we do have the signs. And, and I'm very excited about this message. And I'm excited they all know in the Abraham. I'm excited about every message I preach, okay? There's not a message I don't get excited about. I am always three weeks ahead. And when I finish typing a message, which I'm already ready for December, the whatever it is. When I finish typing that, tell them I said hi on the phone right there. When I finish typing that, I wish, I tell myself, all this, I wish I could preach this right now. But it's three weeks away. But let me tell you what, because I love studying the Bible. I don't know if you can tell, but I love studying the Bible. And so um, as I studied Matthew 25 in this particular message, in this particular section of the text, I've studied this for 41 years. I have studied Matthew 25, the story of the talents. I I don't even know how many times. It's countless in my mind. But isn't it great when you read the Word of God 
that the word of God is fresh every time you read it. I mean, you can read the same chapter repeatedly and then it gives you different things and more things and more things. And I almost feel sorry for the Christian that doesn't dive into it because it's an amazing spiritual collection of letters. Well, when I was studying Matthew 25, the talent story, it, 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 the Holy Spirit illuminated something to me that I had never seen in the story. But as soon as it was illuminated to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I've seen this before throughout Scripture. This is the very same play that Satan uses against every one of us to not, to hinder us from utilizing our gifts and our talents and our abilities both vocationally and ministerially. And by now you know I've told you every week that yes, every born-again believer, every follower of Christ, you are a minister. New Testament teaches we should be using our gifts, talents, and abilities in the local church. If we're not, there's something lacking in our faith. It's not a salvation issue. It's a ministry issue. But also, if you're a young person watching here, I would want to know these things. I would figure out my gifts, talents, and abilities. I'd want to know the strategies of Satan because he can hinder me. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says this. Would you read this first with me? It says, so that... No advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now, there's three words in there, advantage, ignorant, and schemes. I want to show you what they mean. The word advantage means to steal something from someone that is theirs. The word schemes means, uh, uh, it means purpose or evil. The word ignorant means ignorant, to not know. Now, here's what the New Testament writer Paul is telling me and telling you. He's saying, look, you want to know how the workings of Satan work, the evil purposes. You want to know his strategy because if you don't know how he attacks you, how he comes at you, if you don't know the signs, then what's going to happen is he's going to steal something from you that was yours, but you never got to walk in. How many here don't want to lose anything to Satan and his deceitfulness? Any amens on that one? So therefore, we need to know the signs. We need to understand it. Otherwise, he gets the advantage, and we do not live out what God could have done in our life. Specifically, we're talking about the gifts, talents, and abilities. Now, let me tell you what a real reality is. And here's... And we all have this problem. Pastors, you, all of us do. It, it's repeated in Scripture. But here's the problem. Um, when you've read the Gospels, and if you've been a Christian a while, then this is something. If you're new to Christianity, as you read the Gospels, I want you to notice this. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have you noticed how many times Jesus calls the guys together? Hey, 12, come here. I want to talk to you guys. And he tells them, hey, you know what? Um, there's going to come a time. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to scourge me. Uh, they're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. It's going to be bad. They're going to bury me, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. How many times did Jesus tell them that? A lot. Did they get it? They never got it. How do you know, Jim? Because on resurrection morning, all 12 of them, nobody thought there would be no body in the tomb. Any amens? They're hiding. They're terrified in hiding. They didn't think Jesus was going to rise from the dead. That's why that whole idea that they came and stole the body is ridiculous. They're terrified for their lives. They thought it was over. He told them repeatedly, 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 this was going to happen, and they didn't get it. They hide in fear. Those are two important statements as we progress today. And that's the same thing with you and with me. Why are there repeating themes in the Bible? Law of reoccurrence. Why? Because I don't get it the first time, or the second time, or the tenth time, or the twentieth time, or the thirtieth time. It takes quite a bit of unearthing of old ideas to get the new truth in my mind. Any amens? But once we get it, boy, isn't it, it, and it concretes itself within and solidifies within us, it's a strong basis of foundation for our faith. And we begin to understand more and more what is coming at us. Today, we're going to look at these signs, this strategic play that Satan uses. We're going to steal the signs so you can see what comes at you. It hinders you and I 
Listen, young person. It hinders you and I from vocationally becoming who we should have been just in an employment world. It hinders you and I from a Christian perspective, from utilizing our gifts, talents, and abilities in the kingdom of God and local fellowship. It hinders us. He's stealing something from us that is ours, and he's taking it away. And it's worked again and again and again. And I'm going to show you that today, because I never saw this thing in this text. And then equating it with something from the Old Testament is like, it was mind-blowing to me. And it's a step process. But first, let's go to our key verses, okay? Here we go. Proverbs 18, 16. Would you read it with me today? It says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. It's a great verse. Now read the next one. Do you see... A man skilled in his work. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And then our tagline for the series is this. Tagline for the series is this. There we go. God gave it. Don't waste it. Try it again. God gave it. Don't waste it. Now, very briefly, for those just joining us, first time here, first time in the series, let me tell you what, what that means. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Literally, it means that you're bringing a gift in those days of antiquity to somebody to get through the door to see this important person. You had to bring a physical gift. We're taking that, the essence of that idea, and we're saying your gifts, your talents and abilities, they get you to the door. They move you up the ladder in life if you find them and you use them. Remember we said two weeks ago and last week, Mark Twain, great statement. He said the two greatest days of your life, the day you are born and second day is... The day you find out why. Find out why you're on this planet. That's an interesting statement to me because last night, um, just popped in my head, uh, I'm sitting there, it's about 9.45 at night, I'm watching this great Titanic show on histories, mysteries, and stuff like that. About to go up to bed and stuff like that. Then uh, Dylan and, and one of his friends comes in, and this guy's new to the faith about a year, and he's been reading a lot. And don't you love it when young people read a lot now? And so he says, he starts asking me questions. And then he, and I'm answering his questions, and then he says this, he goes, because he had a hard time, you know, trusting God and believing whatever it was. And he said, can you imagine people that don't believe? What hope is there? What reason is there for life? I go, there is no rhyme or reason if you're not a believer. There is for you. It's no life beyond here. There's not even a purpose and a reason you're here. You're just an accident that happened. Can you imagine? But you're not an accident that happened, are you? You're here for a reason and a purpose, and you've got gifts, talents, and abilities. The second part, the second verse says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And the word skilled means to flow like water, anybody. You get better and better and better and better and better at using your gifts, talents, and abilities, and these gifts of yours, they open doors, do they not? And then you become a very valuable person wherever you're at because you're just good at what you do, and then with a great attitude that you have, Christian attitude, hopefully, man, they're not going to get rid of you. They're going to keep you around. Any amens on that? So God gave you these things, don't waste it. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 24 to 27, this is the next section of the parable that we're reading. And it says this, and the one also, now we're coming to the third guy, if you've been following with us week ago. <clears throat> and the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, he comes up to the boss, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. The disciples were afraid, and what do they do? They hid. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? It's always going together. Fear and hiding will always go together. Isn't it interesting? Today it's very interesting, isn't it? Hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. This is Jesus telling the story. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? then you ought to put my money in the bank. In other words, it's not even your money, guy. I gave it to you. You should have done something with it. I trusted you. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Now, well, next week, we'll finish up the series with the last verses because this is week four. Next week is week five. Now, the third man with the one talent, and if you're just joining us, one Roman talent, say it's silver, is not coins. It's a measure of weight. It's the equivalent of about 16 years 
of a man's wages in that day. So is one talent a lot? Yeah, everybody got something and everybody got a lot. The five, two, and one talent. Everybody got something, everybody got a lot. He does nothing with it. But the question is, why? Why does he do nothing with the talent? We would ask ourselves the question, why do some people do nothing with the gifts, talents, and abilities God has given them? I'm going to show you the scheme. I'm going to show you how Satan tricks us. I'm going to show you how Satan robs us from living out the fulfillment of what God has placed within us. It's a three-step process in these verses. I'm going to show you them. At the end, I'm going to equate them to the Old Testament, and then I'm going to drive the puppy home. Sound like a plan? Okay, step one. First thing we see is this. A mental deception. First, we see mental deception. This is huge, my friends. Do not underestimate it because Satan works within the realm of lies. Does he not? Jesus exposed him and said, he's a liar. He's lied from the beginning. There is no truth in him. If he can get me off by a few degrees, he'll get me way off after a couple years. Any amens on that? Now watch the mental deception in the man with the one talent. Verse 24. And it says, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, say the two words. Say it again. I knew. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. The man with the one talent says, You know, I, here's why I didn't do it. Because we're answering why. Step one. I knew something about you, boss. I knew that you're kind of a tough guy. Now, there are two lies. There are two lies in, in, in this first thing, and they're going to be bullet points, that keep us from fulfilling our life vocationally and ministerially. And they should be used in both areas of our lives, every one of us. The first lie that he believes in your notes is this, or in your phone notes. You can never be pleased. Here's what he knows. Boss, you can never be pleased. What does he call the boss? He calls him a what? A hard man. A hard man. You know what that means? Harsh, rough, tough. Then he adds, you know, you, 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 you don't put any in my life. He's saying, in other words, you cannot be pleased. How do you know that's a lie right off the top? I'll tell you why. All you have to do is back up to the other two guys. Do you not? Because they went out Yes, they did double it. Did the master ever say, great job, you doubled the money? Did he say that? No. He said, you were faithful. You gave effort. You went and did it. You stayed consistent. You didn't start, stop, start, stop. You were not intermittent in, in the way you walked, in the way you carried it. And then he says, well done. Remember about steak and the hamburgers? Remember that last week? There was quite a debate on that one, wasn't there? He says, well done. In other words, was the boss pleased? Yes, it wasn't the amount that they made. It was just you gave a great effort. Now, this guy with the one talent says, You're a heart, you, you cannot be pleased. That's a lie. He just saw the boss pleased. He's lying, but he, see, he knew something. But what he knew was a lie, was it not? His interpretation of the boss is lie. Now, let me segue and come back, because I thought about this driving here today. It's a free one, okay? You don't have to tithe on this, but you have to tithe on the rest. So we get this straight. Jesus is getting water baptized at the Jordan River, right? Right? And you got baptized at the Jordan River. You got baptized at the Jordan River? I should have held you guys down longer, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking, just joking. Your mom did send me 20 bucks to hold you down long. But anyway. So, um, uh, how much, did they put a lot of coffee in my coffee today? Because um, my mind's popping. But, uh, but Jesus gets baptized. What does the Father in heaven, when the heavens open and the Spirit descends as a dove, what does the Father say about Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Stop. Well pleased. What, what miracles had Jesus done to that point? None. Had he died on the cross yet? No, he hadn't done any. He said nothing. But he's well pleased. That should tell you something about the character of God. He says, this is my beloved Son. Relationship. Just because you're in relationship with me, you have, you're my son, I'm well pleased. Listen, Christian and follower of Christ, when you entered into relationship with Jesus Christ and then into the Father in that relationship, God's well pleased with you. Period. You can't earn the well pleasing. It's a done deal. He's well pleased. So you never have to worry, am I pleasing you? Am I pleased? No, you're my child. 
Do you walk around your house when your kids really go, I'm so displeased with you. You're two years old and look what you did to your diaper. <laughs> you didn't do that. You go, look, look at the diaper. You know, you're pleased because you, know you're, you know you're in a relationship. God's well pleased with you. Never doubt it. Never forget it. After that, now you want to serve him and pick up your cross and follow him daily. Any amens? See, this guy, the guy with the one talent, he's got it all wrong. He thinks, you're not going to be pleased with me. He's already pleased. And he was pleased with the two guys. And this guy, because he believes a lie, mental deception, he falls for that first lie. Lie number two he believes is this in your notes. You expect a return without investing. I love this lie. Let me tell you why. Because notice what he says. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. I have a question for you. He's telling the boss, you did not invest in my life. You did not give me anything to work with. What's he holding in his hand? The one talent. <laughs> 16 years worth of wages. And he's telling them, can you imagine? Here, you didn't invest in my life. And he's holding it. Don't we believe that lie? God, you didn't give me any gifts, talents, and abilities. God, you didn't invest in my life. You know why we believe the lie that God didn't give us gifts, talents, and abilities? Because we take our gifts, talents, and abilities, and then we compare them with someone else's, huh? And I wish I had those, and then when we focus on those, we don't see ours. Amen? You have tremendous gifts, talents, and abilities. And you can never tell God you did not invest in my life. He has poured them into you. Every one of us has so many of them, we just have to use them and quit believing the lie. That's the first thing. It begins with a mental deception. Watch two verses here. Romans 12, 2, it says this. And do not be conformed to the world, this world, well-known verse, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is there's a purpose for you here that which is good and acceptable and perfect if I get my mind right and I understand who God is clearly guess what I will live out the purposes of God and I won't follow the lies what well, is it important to read my word of God regularly you better believe it if you're not doing that you're losing right now as you sit now watch the second verse here second Corinthians eleven three says but I am Paul writes beautifully and Paul writes this. This is a guy that really lived, hated Christians, murdered Christians, becomes a Christian, plants churches for Christ. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, he's taking us back to the garden, by his, oh, Satan's pretty crafty, huh? Your, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Question, what is Satan going after? My mind. My mind. What does he use to put into my mind? Lies. And if I can believe lies, remember Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But if he can get lies in my head and I believe them about me and everything else and about my gifts, talents, and abilities or lack thereof, he's going to get me to stop. He's going to get me to stop. Too many people fall for lies and we're following for the same lies. We go good for so many months or a year, then we fall for a lie and boom, we backpedal 10 steps again. Stop backpedaling 10 steps. Now, after it begins with a mental deception, a lie, notice the second step, and that is emotions rule over faith. Now watch. Verse 25, it says, and I was afraid. That's all I need for that one right there this time. And I was afraid. So now we go from a mental deception, he believes a lie, and what is the result of the mental deception? Fear. It's an emotion, is it not? Have you ever noticed how many times you and I are led by our emotions? Have you ever noticed how many times your emotions are affected by the pepperoni pizza you ate the night before? <laughs> Have you ever noticed stuff like that? See, the Bible is the Bible. It's truth. It, emotions don't affect it. it doesn't, you don't get all emotional one day and go back and read it and the words are changed. They only change in our head if, we get, if we're led by emotions. A any amens right there? See, if I'm led by my emotions, I'm going to go off kilter spiritually. And I believe a lie, I'm led by emotions, and I'm not going to use my gifts, talents, and abilities, which means the opposite is true. If I understand who God is, know the truth, grow in the truth, then I'm not going to walk in that fear and those emotions, and I'm going to use my gifts, talents, and abilities for God. Any amens? It just makes sense. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you what I think about this. 
Um, in Mark chapter 4, like verse 40 and 41, Jesus has told the disciples to get in the boat, cross over the Sea of Galilee. And so they get in the boat, they cross over the sea. A big storm hits, and they're, they're seasoned fishermen. And they're terrified. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep. He's asleep, and it says, and he's got a cushion. Look, if you go to Israel this next time, you're going to see a boat at the time of Christ. They found one. When the water receded one time, they found one. And it's in a museum there on the Sea of Galilee. It's not big. The water crashes over that like nothing. And so it's crazy. It's stormy. The water's filling the boat. The disciples, seasoned fishermen, deadliest catch kind of guys, they're freaking out. And they wake Jesus up. We're dying because it says they're terrified. We're dying. Jesus wakes up. And he looks at him, <laughs> I can only imagine, and he tells him, says, why are you afraid? If I'm the guy, I'm going, look around you. Why am I afraid? Because why are you afraid? And then he says, do you still lack faith? Guys, who's in the boat? Jesus. Who's in your boat? Here's the best part. He looks at the storm, he says, shut up. That's what it literally says. He says, shut up. Because it's a, a demonically induced storm. The wording tells us in the Greek that it's demonically induced. Designed to drown them in the middle of that sea of Galilee so a, a demon-possessed man cannot be saved on the other side. He goes back to sleep. The disciples look at each other. You know what they say? It says first, it says, and they were even more afraid. And then they said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I think I'd have said the same thing. But here's my point. You'll never use your gifts, talents, and abilities for God. You'll, you'll always be led by your emotions if you never come to the reality of who then is this in your boat. They don't know who he is. Now, they have an excuse. They're just learning. We don't have the excuse because we're looking back at it, reading the scriptures. Who then is this? When you finalize who then is this and start to know who he is, you're not going to walk in mental deceptions and you're not going to be um, susceptible to fear and emotions that will take you off the trajectory that God has for you vocationally and ministerially. So mental deception, step one. Step two now, after the lie, emotions, fear. Step three now is a willful hiding of our talents. I emphasize the word willful, an act of the will now. Now, why do I do that? Notice, <clears throat> verse 25. Let me read the rest of verse 25. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Which he contradicts himself because he told the, the boss, you don't invest in my life. And then he says, here's what's yours. He's not making any sense. <clears throat> so, side note, he went away, dug a hole. Did he use energy? Yes. The other two guys went away and traded. Did they use energy? Some people use their energy for productive things. Some people use their energy to, to waste their life away. You got one life. To find out that one big purpose in your life. And only God can tell you what the purpose is because he's the creator who created you. He hides the talent in the ground. I typed this in on Thursday. I went back and I thought about something. I typed this in. And I need to say this. Because I lived this. This is a thing that I lived for years. When you live in fear, and there's enough of that going around, it paralyzes you, does it not? Does it not? It paralyzes a person to the point that you will practice rigid control of your life. Can you prove that, Jim? Yeah. He went and buried the talent and did not take the risk to do anything with it. That's called sabotage. People do it all the time. I did it 
from about 1980 to about 1990. I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't understand it. But once I saw it, I said, I can't do this way anymore. And, and besides, I, I was going to plant this church in 1992. I had to recognize that strategy and that lie that Satan had been using in my life. You follow me? John the disciple writes at the end of the New Testament in 1 John chapter 4, he says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And then he finishes by saying, for fear involves punishment. See, when you walk in fear, you think something bad going to happen. And therefore, you will be paralyzed, you will clamp down, you will sabotage, and you will just live out what you personally can control, which is not much. Any amens? And so you must learn to trust that God loves you, pleased with you, and when He tells you to step out with your gifts, talents, and abilities, that that's on Him, right? You and I give the effort, but He's got your life in His hands. And you will break through old quitting points, old places where you practice rigid, pharisaical control, and you never experience what you should have experienced. Am I making sense to anyone? Okay, good, because I thought it was very important because you see, God has deposited gold in every person. Am I right? You're either going to mine it out or you're going to bury it. It's one of the two. You're either going to mine it out or you're going to bury it. If you bury it, you're living in fear and rigid control. And you will never know what you could have been vocationally. You will never know what you could have been ministerially. You'll never see those talents develop and grow or even be found out. And you might end up at a certain point in your life be very, very frustrated, which we'll talk about next week. <clears throat> now, when he tells the boss, I gotta move on now. When he tells the boss, <laughs> you know, you, 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 you reap where you don't plant. You, in other words, it's your fault, boss. What is the guy making? Excuses. He's making excuses. Has anybody noticed how brazen this guy is? Can you imagine going to your boss and telling him that? Can you imagine, let me take a step further, everybody watching out there in TV land. Can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ one day as a Christian, not for salvation, you're going, you're saved but making all these excuses why you didn't do anything and then blaming it on him? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? It won't fly, will it? And all because we believe the lie and we live in fear. Can I segue and come back? I just need to say something. Fear. I've been asked quite a few times during the last eight months, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? Answer, no, no, no. Now, I'm not saying I can't catch COVID. I'm not saying that at all. But I don't know where Jesus is telling me in the New Testament, you need to be afraid. He's telling me to use wisdom. I'll wear the mask. Can't stand the mask, but I'll wear it. And I do. But I'm surely not going to walk in fear. I refuse to. Let me tell you why. Let me, no, let me tell you why. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And, and I'm surely not trying to manipulate anybody with a lot of underlying conditions and you're older. You need to be really careful. So I'm not doing that. I'm not dumb. And not want to put anybody in peril. So please understand that. But I'm not going to walk in fear. And I told you to think this last week week before. Jesus only told me to be afraid of one thing. He said first, don't be afraid of the person that can kill the body. He said, but be afraid of the person that can kill the body and your soul in hell. There's only one person can do that, and that's Jesus. But I'm already under the blood, so I know I'm not going there. So what should I fear? Nothing. Nothing. Well, Jim, you want to die? Of course I don't want to die. But I do not put all my stock in this world. Isn't that what it teaches? It doesn't teach us in life beyond this life that's eternal. I'm not going to be afraid. 
I'm not going to walk in fear. I'm not going to walk in fear. I refuse to. Because Jesus never told me to walk in fear. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Anyway, I, I got to move on. Now watch. The guy makes excuses. Now watch what the boss tells him, who's a picture of Jesus, because this is great. Verse 26 and 27. After he makes his excuses, because now, remember, mental deception, then emotions, and then a willful decision, decision of the will to do nothing based on fear, based on a lie. Verse 26, 27, he says, but his master answered and said to him, here's the, the boss tells him now, you wicked, lazy slave. Can you imagine the guy's face at that moment? That was pretty funny. Yeah, okay, good. I'll use it next service then. Um, you knew, now he's going back to, this is what you knew? He's challenging the guy's lie. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. In other words, if this is what you really, really believed was true, though it's not, he says, verse 27, then here's what you ought to have done. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. In other words, you, you couldn't even do the, 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 the easiest thing. You used your energy to dig a hole. You couldn't go walk there and put my money in the bank. You couldn't even do that. He chastises the man. Notice he doesn't coddle the man. He doesn't give the man a pacifier. We call that a chupon in Spanish. He doesn't do that. You poor guy, you're right. You know, we need to help you out. He didn't do anything. You're not going to help that guy out one bit. Not one bit. Uh-uh. You know what? If you start to help out an excuse maker, are you helping them or hurting them? You're just hurting them. What you're dealing with is a person in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, even though they're intellectually that age, they're about eight years old emotionally. Are they not? And they got to grow up. We have a lot of people in America that just aren't growing up. Would you agree? I, I wholeheartedly agree, man. I've been watching this going on for decades. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. It starts with a mental deception, the mind. The lie leads to emotions, fear. The fear leads to a bad decision. Bury, hide my talents, gifts, and abilities. I'll do nothing. A lot of Christians live right there. Those are the signs. Now watch this. This is what I never equated before. I knew this part, but I never put Matthew 25 with this. When God showed it to me, I was like, oh, oh, oh. After Adam and Eve's sin, God comes looking for them in the garden. And it says they heard him. Oh, the mind. And then God says, why are you hiding? He goes, we were afraid. Oh, emotions. And they're hiding in the trees. Oh, on the decision of the will to hide. Mind, emotions, will. Do you see it? Do you see it? Does Satan have any new plays? He has no new plays. He has nothing. He lies to you. Have you ever contemplated, because I've contemplated this question so many times in my life over 40 years, how many lies that we believe? Have you ever thought about that? How many things we believe that are contrary to the word of God? Have you ever thought about that? You as an individual. Well, I don't. You probably believe at least 500 lies. Quit kidding yourself. Slants of the way you look at life, the way you perceive this, the way you look at marriage, relating, whatever. There's all kinds of little lies that are in there. And we need to uncork them and walk in truth. Any amens? And see, because the lies lead to bad emotions which lead to bad decisions. And in this case, we're looking at a lack of involvement and, and not fulfilling our life. Gifts, talents, and abilities. Now, I'm a movie guy. Somebody told me, I've been told this many times, that I'm a frustrated actor. I agree. I gave you 37 years on this one, okay. So those of you who are older, you'll know this movie, hopefully. It should have won an Academy Award, Rocky Three. How many know Rocky Three? Rocky fights Clubber Lang, one of the greatest characters in the Rocky, Rocky series. I love Clubber Lang. He's got the best lines in all of Rocky's 400 movies that he made of Rocky. 
So Rocky wants to fight Clubber, and Clubber is calling him out, embarrassing him. And, and Rocky announced retirement, and then Rocky tells Mick, I want to fight this guy. And Mick tells him, you can't win, Rock. He'll knock you to tomorrow. He goes, what? He goes, this guy's a rocking machine. And he puts a lie in Rocky's head. You ever thought of it like that? And so he talks Mick into fighting. Let's fight one more fight then. We're not going into retirement. They do. And if you know the movie that night, Mick gets hurt. He never makes it to the ring. Rocky goes in the ring. His head is wrong because he's believed lies. He used to be a very competent fighter. Tough. And they go to the center of the ring and they're reading the rules and got the gloves. And Clubber Lang's looking at Rocky like this. And here's Rocky. And as soon as they walk away from each other, Clubber Lang knows, he says, he's afraid. He's afraid. It's my championship. He's afraid. And he does knock Rocky to tomorrow. But it all started with a lie that led to fear. And he goes down. And he loses the title. But that's not the end of the movie, is it? Because here comes Apollo Creed, another great character. And he tells Rocky, you could beat this guy, but you're doing it wrong. And he begins to train Rocky, but Rocky won't train. He's unmotivated because the lie's still in his head. He believes that Mick just had fights that were setups. And there's that one scene where Rocky is running on the, on the beach and he just quits running. He just, it's like it's over now. And even Apollo says, it's over, it's done, he's done. And they got this fight, this rematch with Clubber coming up. And so Rocky's wife, you know, a, you know Adrian, you know Rocky's wife. <laughs> she walks down the beach to him and she starts talking to him. You know, only like a wife can talk to a husband, huh? How many of you husbands, you're kind of afraid of your wife? They could scare you, huh? Um, and she says what's wrong I don't want her anymore and she knows that's a lie she goes we have everything but we don't have the truth that's what she tells him he goes what's the truth he goes what are you trying to do to me she goes what's the truth he goes you want to know what the truth is yeah I want to know and he says it he says it out loud he goes I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm afraid of losing what I got and she says, I'm afraid too. Everybody's afraid. And then she just reads him the riot act, man, about getting that ring and who he is and all this stuff. And it just changes his head. And he just starts training. You know, the Rocky music starts again and you're all bumped up and everything. Apollo Creed has trained him in a new style. In Apollo style. But Rocky's a brawler. He'll get hit a million times on the head to get you one punch in your face. And he goes into the fight. And remember when they stand there for the second fight and Clubber Lang looks at him and goes, I'm going to bust you up. What does Rocky say? Go for it. And if you watch Clubber, and I'm, so next time you watch the movie, Clubber turns away and he walks away and he's like, and he can't believe this is the same guy. Clubber knows this is not the same guy. Just watch Clubber next time. He knows Rocky's not afraid. And the fight starts. And Rocky's using the new style. Bam, bam, bam. He's shucking and jiving and going all over the place. And bam, bam. He's doing all these things. And then finally, somewhere in late second round, whatever it was, Rocky realizes something. I can beat this guy the way I fight. I know who I am. I'm not going to believe the lie anymore that he'll knock me to tomorrow because I'm a wrecking machine. And he starts fighting his style of fight because you see, you cannot wear Saul's armor. Some of you know what that means, right? And he goes back to his style. He goes back to what he does and he knocks Clubber Lang to tomorrow. And he knocks him out and he wins. But it all started with a change of mind. The change of mind that led to the elimination of fear. And the elimination of fear led to walking in there with a strong will that I'm going to knock this person out according to my gifts, talents, and abilities. Last thought. Here's the last thought. In um, Second Chronicles 
20. 20. If you read it, Jehoshaphat the king. There's a massive army that's coming at him made up of different people groups. It's a big army. And he's afraid. And he talks to God. He, it, it, it's a prayer. And there's three statements. If you follow the story, the first statement he says as he's praying to God, he says, are you not the God who... The second statement is, did you not God do... The third statement he says, will you not do... You see, it started with, are you not? Are you not? Now... That's important. Because he's telling God, this is who I know you are. And because he knows who God is, his mind is clear. And therefore, because he knows that, he says, then did you not? I know what you've done in the past. Because you could do it again. And then he shifts to, will you not? Because I know who you are, I know what you've done in the past. Now, will you not do that again for me? Now, here's my last question. It's my last question for you here, at home, outside, wherever you're at. You're watching it later this week, watching it tonight. Would you please just try this? Just try it. Write down, are you not? And then put a bunch of lines underneath, are you not? And be brutally honest with yourself and write down your answer to are you not? Who is God? In your mind, really, who is God? Because you got to get that one right. Because if you get that one wrong, then it's going to lead to fear and it's going to lead to bad decision making of the will and you will be robbed you will lose the advantage you will not pick up Satan's signs as he's running repeated play in your life again and again and again you will not see and you will bury your talent gifts and abilities never use them vocationally never use them ministerially and you will be robbed of something that could have been yours does that make sense? okay I'm done now I'm finished so let's go ahead and pray now praise the Lord Let's pray. You know, if you're here, as, you're, as you sit here today, here outside, you know, out there in um, online land, I, I got a few questions. Apart from the message. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, today's the day. Today's the day. You don't have to walk in fear anymore. You can walk in the security of eternity. That Jesus came to save you from yourself, from your sins, from Satan. Put your feet on solid ground so you walk in confidence and to show you why you were created. See, you need to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to become his child. Well, why, Jim? What's the big deal? Well, because you see, you're a sinner like I am. I'm probably more of a sinner than you. And Jesus came a couple thousand years ago and he went to a cross and he carried your sins and mine he sheds his blood on there to forgive you and me of our sins and then he dies he rises from the dead now that was to abolish sin and death and to give us new life because he's the resurrection and the life but it's not and so he could save you but it's not automatic and you could say, well, I just believe in being a good person. Good, good works will get me there. Okay, how, many, how good is good enough? How many works is enough? Tell me the line. You cannot answer that. It's an unanswerable question. You could never do enough good works. You could do a million good works. It will never, ever erase one sin that you and I have committed. Not one. We need the blood of Jesus. And that's the love of God. Greater, greater love hath no man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for you, friend, to save you. But you've got to profess faith in Him. You've got to put Him as your Lord, God, Savior, only God, and confess that and believe Him so the Spirit of God can come and dwell in you. And you'll be born again. There'll be a new you, a regeneration. And if you've never done that, then hope today's the day. And maybe you backslid. You're just living life here and there, no rhyme or reason but it's time to come back again because you know what's right you know what's right and maybe you didn't live it right and maybe you believed too many lies got you some kind of emotion wrong decision send you down a wrong road time to come back pick up the signs see the plays that are coming at you because there's nothing new he's throwing at you it's all the same so I'm going to give you an opportunity right now 
to come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, either for the first time or in rededication. If that's you, either one of those two positions, I want you, and everybody in this room say it too, those at home, I want you, though, to repeat this prayer and put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're at home and you feel awkward around people, just whisper it, say in your head, but after the prayer, tell people you put your faith in Christ. Do not be a secret Christian. It doesn't work. So repeat after me, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's for the first time in rededication. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die in my place. You would shed your blood to forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me of all my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Come into my heart. Take over my life. Today I choose to follow you. I believe you died and you resurrected from the dead to give me life. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray for anyone who said that prayer for the first time, a rededication. Got to follow it up, friend. Got to follow it up. You got to follow it up. You got to begin to grow. You got to begin to learn the things of Scripture. Got to get into fellowship in church. Get with, uh, get with Christians. They'll show you the way. They'll help you to get the right Bible. But you got to follow it up. Because now you've switched teams, and Satan is not happy. He's not happy that you, d- you demanded a trade, and you got it. And so, God, I just pray, Lord, you cover them, keep them, God. Because you do. It says in word, you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.